Welcome to the Physical Therapy Network Podcast, a podcast for orthopedic physical therapists where we interview master clinicians about the research that has influenced their practice over the years and give you tips on how to apply it to your own clinical practice. We are the Physical Therapy Network. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ben Contino, current orthopedic resident physical therapist at the Milwaukee VA Medical Center in affiliation with the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Today, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with our guest, Jen Beatty-Miller on the Physical Therapy Network. Good evening, Jen. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good, Ben. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks. Um, Jen, for those who don't know you, you're a physical therapist and an orthopedic clinical specialist. Um, but for our listeners, do you mind sharing about where you graduated and any certifications you have within PT? Most definitely. Um, just want to say to you, Ben, thanks for having me. Of course. Really appreciate that. I think it's going to be a really good conversation that we're going to have tonight. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So like you said, my name is Jennifer Brady Miller. I graduated from Marquette University in 2004. So at that time, I was the last uh, master's class at Marquette University. So graduating from Marquette and being the last master class, I feel like nowadays I'm, you know, I see that a lot of the DPTs that are coming, they look at you as a DPT as well. And so I do find myself kind of correcting and saying, "Hey, I'm not a not a doctor. I don't have my DPT, uh, but I, I am a PT who is board certified and orthopedic clinical specialist. I've been at the Milwaukee VA for about 19 years." So being at the Milwaukee VA for 19 years has really, really shaped who I am as a person, you know, and it really shaped who I am as a physical therapist. And it's really shaped who I am as a physical therapist in the community as well. And so what I mean by that, with shaping my practice in the community, I really enjoy uh, lending my services or volunteering at pro bono clinics. Uh, I also do a focus in my own practice at the Milwaukee VA on patients who suffer from persistent pain. So with focusing on patients that suffer from persistent pain, I've really seen my practice evolve um, from 2004 all the way now to 2023. Sure. And were you working with that population uh, kind of from the get-go of your career? I would say yes. You know, know, early on in, in, in my career, I would feel like I wouldn't label them or say, oh, this is a patient that suffers from persistent pain or a chronic pain patient. I would just say, these are my patients that are kind of my frequent flyers, or these are my patients who just aren't getting better with PT. When I, as a new graduate, thought I could help anybody, I can get anybody better. Um, And so I would say when I started to really change my focus on my practice was probably in about 2015, 2016 is where I really started to really understand the complexity of patients who do deal with persistent pain. Neat. I'm excited to hear about how that ties in with the article you mentioned. So with that in mind, what is the research article you'd like to share that has impacted your clinical practice and um, changed how you operate maybe as a physical therapist throughout the years? Uh, So what I'm going to share is a paper from 2022 um, by McGinnis and colleagues the case for more active policy attention to health promotion. And so I was first introduced to this paper when I took a MedBridge course. Okay. Uh, The MedBridge course that I was taking, well, I I can explain it as a series of courses. So the MedBridge course or series of courses was a certification and it was 
pretty much done by uh, Chad Cook. And so my, I could call Chad Cook my very, my very good friend. Nice. Um, I don't know him personally, but I like yeah. studying for the OCS, I felt like, you know, that was my go-to guy. Mm -hmm. He was my guy that taught me everything about the spine, you know, taught me everything about uh, special tests and so forth. Right. Uh, but in this series, in the certification series, he introduced this article in the introduction where he talked on the crucial factors influencing health and recovery in MSK care. Okay. And so him covering those crucial factors and influencing health and recovery, he touched on this paper by McGinnons and colleagues. And this paper showed that population health is more driven by health behaviors, okay? Genetic predisposition is high in there as well. But health behaviors is just as high. One thing that was low was healthcare. Healthcare has about a 10% buy-in and patient outcomes. And so that just like blew my mind. 10% of what I do as a physical therapist actually affects change. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was a new grad, I would have said that can't be true. Medical care, healthcare, we've advanced technology-wise so far and healthcare-wise. Why are we only affecting 10%? And so I feel like if I knew that starting out as a new grad, that probably would have changed the focus of my continuing education career. I yeah. might not have invested more dollars into uh, certain tech manual therapy techniques or certain shiny new physical therapy techniques that, that are supposedly gonna give you these high patient outcomes. Yeah. I probably would have invested my continuing education dollars in interpersonal skills, uh, therapeutic rapport, therapeutic alliance, and building that patient rapport and that trust. That's exactly probably where I would have put more of my money towards and really seeing how I could not only maximize that 10%, but also uh, tap into those health behaviors, tap into formalizing routines with patients, formalizing healthy habits with my patients. So I would have stressed that a little bit more to really see those high patient outcomes. Yeah. That's cool to hear your reflection on um, how this article impacted you even on the back end. And looking previously at your career, maybe some things you would have changed, but I'm excited to hear about, you know, how you practice now that's different. So if you don't mind, can you break down for us a little bit the purpose of this article from McGinnis, as well as maybe some of the main results or the things that stood out to you? So the, paper of this, the uh, purpose of this paper was to look at how social investment in medical care compared with preventable activities. This paper also wanted to dive a little bit into really exploring those factors, inhibiting policy attention, and then also suggest approaches to sharpen that public policy with a focus on health uh, promotion, and then also with a focus on disease prevention. So they wanted to give their suggestions as well. You know, So that purpose right there alone told me that, you know, this this was a call to action. Us, we're, we're in that healthcare world as PTs. We have to be part of that as well. I truly believe us as PTs being part of that is that we have to really market ourselves very well in the healthcare community. We have to be kind of the go-to for uh, pain uh, when it comes to pain talk. We have to be the go-to when it comes for, to movement. We are the movement specialists. So we really have to market ourselves very well uh, in, in, the, in our physical therapy practice. What are some of the findings from this article that you've specifically taken away and have thought about as you practice as a physical therapist 
or as you uh, maybe even on an individual level treat patients? So specific things I've taken away, a couple of the things that I mentioned earlier, how to maximize that 10% buy-in that I have in, in my our patient outcomes. You know, with focusing on my 10%, I also have to share that 10% with the primary care provider. I also have to share that 10% with um, the mental health provider or with not only the mental health provider, the PM&R doc. So I'm making sure all of us are on the same page. It's it's great working at the VA that I can reach out to those providers very easily with just uh, a click to an application and then write a message. And then, you know, I, I can really get in touch with communication when it comes to those providers. So in that sense, I'm building that therapeutic alliance amongst us as health professionals. And so that's been my takeaway with really understanding how can I maximize my 10%. And then how can I tap into those health behaviors? I'm looking more into how can I make patients see that what I'm helping them with or what they come to me for to use that as you know a priority. I'm hoping patients see their home exercise program as a priority. I'm not giving, you know, 10 exercises for patients that think they can focus on. I'm probably giving one exercise as opposed to, you know, like I said, 10 or I focus on three different exercises. Um, and that's really about it. I want them to see that they have a choice in their health care. I want them to see that what the choices is important, but I also want them to see that that importance also requires priority. They got to make it a priority too. And so if I can tap into some health behaviors, make it a priority, if I can help them start to make a routine or form these habits, then us as PTs, we can really tap into those health behaviors as well. Jen, for this, uh, for our listeners tuning in this article at this point, um, do you recall what the percentage of outcomes uh, related to health behaviors um, was tied to? And you said our interventions or our, our role as a physical therapist might only contribute 10% um, to their actual health outcomes, but I think the article was stating that health behaviors might have a greater impact. Yeah, so health behaviors, I believe genetics uh, was number one, and then health behaviors, number two. Um, and then we see environmental um, factors as well. So it really tapped on those social determinants of health or those social determinants of population health. And with that said, um, this article had, or this paper has really helped shape one of the courses that I taught at Marquette University to the DPT4 students. And the course was is called Culture and Disability. And with that course, I really wanted the students to focus on health promotion, health equity, and also decreasing healthcare disparities. When we look at the social determinants of health, um, a lot of those factors right there can influence health outcomes. So really understanding that if we can get into um, those factors that we can change or prevent, we can hopefully lower, you know, a lot of deaths that are related to uh, preventable preventable diseases. I ask you some questions that I maybe ask uh, most of our guests. There's not too much else, you know. I really shined a light on me into us as physical therapists and the healthcare world, it's more than just about us. It's about not only us, but also those around the, the patient, um, the patient's thoughts, you know, the patient's activities. Also, you know, there's so many different factors and complexity of our patients that we really have to be sensitive 
to that as opposed to, you know, putting our degrees on a pedestal, putting us as the movement specialists on a pedestal. So I appreciate you sharing that. I actually really resonated with the um, idea that you presented about how when you were early on in your PT career, you felt like you could help and fix everybody. And I think uh, there's a component of that as a new graduate myself um, that I resonate with that concept or that thought, um, but it's been really neat to learn um, from working alongside of you and other great PT colleagues um, that, you know, there's a lot of other factors and the interdisciplinary approach to patient care is truly important for a lot of folks um, and trying to recognize and acknowledge the uh, contribution of the health behaviors and social determinants of health. Now those really play a role in how somebody might have success or may not have success in their um, health journey and outcomes as well. So, um, Jen, without further ado, I want to ask you, what is one thing you think that you wish PTs would think about more, focus on more? I wish PTs would think about more, focus more on, is really getting out there into the community. Uh, that either be volunteering at a pro bono clinic or getting in the conversation with other individuals who might not know very much about PT or um, spreading the uh, news about PT throughout your facility where you work or um, to other facilities uh, even outside of the healthcare world. So really marketing PT well, uh, because like I said, I couldn't stress this more that we are that movement, movement specialist. We are that pain specialist that there's so much to offer when it comes to the world of, of PT, so much to offer. So yeah, I appreciate how PTs kind of in their own bubble sometimes, but um, there's certainly a, a broad population that doesn't really know what PTs do. Um, and even within uh, health professionals, there's a lot of ambiguity with the role of a PT. Um, so you're right, we do have a long ways to go in terms of advocating for our role and what we're really good at and who we're qualified to see and help. Right, right. So, yeah, I agree with you. Um, Jen, if you had to offer a piece of advice for a new graduate or somebody who's just starting off at PT, um, what what would that be? One piece of advice I would give for a new graduate is, you know, I don't know if this still holds true. I remember when I was going through school and then even early in my practice, I felt like I had to focus a certain amount of time on the subjective history during the physical therapy exam, right? I felt like, oh, you get your 15 minutes of subjective, 20 minutes maybe at the most, and then you get into your objective, and then you get into, you know, your your, your plan of care. Yeah. So, you know, usually when I am treating a patient, I don't mind spending 30 minutes, even 45 minutes on a subjective history. I don't mind doing that at all because I know they're going to come back. I'm hoping that I can win them over um, on that first appointment, gain their trust. And they're like, OK, you know, she's there doing some active listening. She's really, you know, repeating herself, repeating back to, you know, me what what I just said. So I'm really hoping that, you know, we can focus on a little bit more of listening to the patient. So that would be my piece of advice for a new grad is, it's okay to spend more than 20, 30 minutes on a subjective history, build that patient rapport and, and build that relationship from there. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Actually, the first high-level PT to say that to me. So I think there's some there's some merit to that. And um, there's a lot to be gained from just listening to our patients. I can do that. And uh, as new therapists, we can emphasize um, truly doing that, you know, active listening mm -hmm. and um, understanding where patients are coming to us and where they're at. Uh, Jenna, I really appreciated hearing your thoughts and your perspective. Thank you for taking the time to join us and be on the podcast. 
Um, we wish you the best. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Jen, would you be willing to share with us some of the ways that you've seen the PT profession evolve or change over the course of your career and some of the things you've noticed? That's a very good question, Ben. You know, I think about my colleague, Steve Platt. Steve Platt and I actually did an in-service to our VA physical therapy staff discussing the lifespan of a PT. Right. When you think about the lifespan of a PT, I've been practicing for about 19 years. And during that span of my career, I kind of rode this wave of, of interventions. Okay. So getting on that roller coaster and riding that wave of interventions, I've seen that spending money on a continuing education course and bringing manual therapy back into the clinic, that actually helped raise my patient outcomes. Patients were getting better. And so I rode that wave of manual therapy for a while. Pretty early on in my career, I was taking a ton of Maitland courses. I even brought Maitland courses to the BA, you know, and so bringing Maitland courses to the BA, I wrote that intervention of manual therapy for so long. And then I got to a point where, okay, after riding that wave, I saw I'm on this roller coaster and we're going downhill. And as I'm going downhill, I'm not getting those high patient outcomes I was getting before. And of course, there's there's factors influenced in that. You know, you come out of a course for a weekend, a long weekend, and you're doing that intervention. And so you're selling it to the patient. You're excited. You're, you know, you think you're doing it correctly. You're right on L4, L5 and so forth. And so patients are getting better. But when you get to that point of where you rock right in that wave and, you know, not necessarily saying you're giving everyone manual therapy, but you start to see your, your interventions or your patient outcomes decrease. And then, so I say, okay, what's the next continuing education course? I got to ride another wave, you know? And so I saw myself riding a wave of, 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 administering, you know, grass and techniques per se, you know, when you ride that wave and the, the, I feel like a big wave right now is, is dry needling. You know, we ride that wave for so long. I won't get too much into that hot topic, but we ride these waves of interventions. And right now in my career, I've seen myself evolve. So evolve into the point where I'm riding that wave of focusing on uh, pain neuroscience education, therapeutic alliance and building that rapport with my patients. So I'm riding that wave. So it's hopefully get to a point where it's linear, you know, I'm yeah. going up and up and up um, and hopefully honing in on my craft of really my interpersonal skills with my patients and, and my interpersonal skills with the providers that's treating them. You know, I really think about my program development with my functional rehabilitation group uh, for persistent pain. That group has a core disciplines that really dive into uh, a patient's care when it comes to persistent pain. There's a PM&R doc and uh, in, involved in the core disciplines. There's PT, there's whole health coach. There's also a mental health pain psychologist. And then we also have a pain farm D. So with understanding that we have to utilize an uh, interdisciplinary approach with treating some of our patients and also utilize uh, riding that linear wave, I should say not a wave, but a linear up, up, uptake, you know, we can hopefully start to see that change or see that high patient outcomes when it comes to no longer a PT roller coaster. It's now it's a linear move for our, for our patients and for our uh, profession as a whole. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I have a follow-up question for you. I think uh, potentially as a new graduate hearing both how, you know, the article that you shared discusses how the interventions that the healthcare system provides may only help or affect, 
you know, health related outcomes up to 10%. And also kind of this, this wave uh, theory that you've shared with us, how, you know, maybe becoming super proficient or skilled at particular tools um, may not even long-term be a, a huge solution as developing as a PT. I think as a, a new grad or a, a younger PT, that could be really disheartening hearing that, man, I've spent so much time working on these things or uh, man, I've put so much thought and effort into studying and learning how to help patients. Um, how do you turn that around or shift that frames of mind to uh, put a positive spin on it? How can we actually help patients get better? Um, yeah, does that question make sense? The way we can reframe that or hopefully change that direction of, of your thinking, we can hopefully say that we are actually still in the game. You know, we still are helping the patient get buy-in. But like I said, we're hopefully maximizing that small percentage, but we're also tapping into those health behaviors, that bigger percentage. So we want to stay in that realm or stay in that, you know, chunk of the pie as opposed to necessarily saying we're already in the chunk of the pie of the 10 percent the 10 percent won't and my thought or my theory probably won't change or get much higher because we don't go home with our patients it's so much complexity surrounding our patients and and that's one thing i love about the va that took that whole health initiative or that patient-centered approach initiative in 2017 they took that patient-centered care approach and then focus on the realms of care around that patient to actually really show a change and those realms of care around the patient actually tap into those health behaviors so that's why i say us as pts we have to stay in that world of um, being that health coach we have to stay in that world of tapping in healthy behavior choices so i think it knowing that we're in the health behaviors already but actually shining light on that that's where we are as well we're not only in the healthcare pie we're also in the um healthy behaviors area as yeah. well. Yeah, you're right. And we get sometimes so caught up in what the specific interventions or specific movements, exercises, tools, whatever that might be that we think a patient needs that we sometimes neglect the big picture of physical activity levels, um, nutrition, sleep, um, all those, exactly. those quote-unquote healthy behaviors that you're referring to and our role in encouraging and promoting those for our patients. Exactly. Yeah, awesome.